Very good. Please take your Bibles with me this evening and turn to Philippians 3. Title of the sermon, Be Patient. Last time we were together in Philippians 3, we considered the biblical exhortation to count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. We contemplated the blessed truth that the things of this life pale in comparison to the blessings of the life that is to come. And we considered in our time that to live for the things of this life at the expense of the things of the life to come is at best foolishness. We were also careful to take Paul in context here, recognizing that his own experience in this context had to do with the degree to which he had placed his confidence in his own righteousness by means of his capacity to keep the law, by means of his capacity to align himself with what he believed to be God's expectations as reflected in the Mosaic law. And consequently, the extent to which his own process of yielding demanded his counting all of that personal effort unto self-righteousness as loss for Christ. And this week's study continues very much within that context, but gives us a deeper insight. It's a little bit regrettable that we, we had to stop where we did because of the nature of this context and how it flows, uh, but, but it is as it needed to be. Paul counts all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord, and this has led him into great sufferings, hasn't it? Great trials, great losses in many, by, by, by any stretch of the imagination, by any account. He has gone through a tremendous amount of suffering, a tremendous amount of pain, a tremendous amount of shame, a tremendous amount of difficulty for Christ. And yet he's glad to do so. If he might attain unto the joys, the blessings, and the rewards of the resurrection, and as we continue today, Paul is going to also continue in this very important context, both in regard to his own aspirations, as well as to the teachings which we are appropriating into our own lives. Now, the title of the sermon is Be Patient. And do recall that patience means, in the Bible, steadfast endurance. The concept of patience is a concept of waiting, but it's not just a concept of waiting. It's a concept of enduring. It's a type of waiting. It's not just sitting on the couch eating potato chips waiting, right? It is a process of doing what you know to do today as you wait for the Lord to do the next thing, as you wait for the next lesson, as you wait for the next step, as you wait for the next opportunity. And so remember that as we talk through the concept of patience today, as we talk through the concepts of, of Paul's aspirations today, that we're not talking about you just sitting around and waiting. That's not necessarily patience. We're talking about you enduring us enduring through the course of the trials and the difficulties and the sufferings and the confusions and the unknowns that are brought to bear in our lives. And to understand this fully, I want to go back a couple of verses in context, and then we'll walk into verse 12. I'm going to begin in verse 10, where the Bible says this. Paul sa says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So Paul speaks to a deep 
an abiding desire here to count all things but loss that he might attain unto that knowledge of Christ and that through the attaining of the knowledge of Christ, that knowledge that is realized through suffering, that knowledge that is realized through endurance, that knowledge that is realized through the realities of living out this life following Jesus Christ, that it may bring about the fullest realizations of the resurrection of the dead. And he makes this important caveat then as he continues in verse 12, that Paul is not saying that he has already attained, nor that he is already perfect. And I'd like us to take a moment to consider these words here. Notice that the word attain used in our King James translation is found in both verses 11 and verse 12. He says, not as though, uh, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. So we see the King James translation choose the same word there, but there are actually two Greek words, two different Greek words that underlie those two, the, the same English word there. In verse 11, Paul speaks to the idea of arriving at, attaining unto arriving at, the resurrection of the dead. If by any means I might attain unto, I might arrive at all of those blessings of meeting up to the fullness of Christ's resurrection, his power, his victory. And then in verse 12, Paul speaks with an eye toward this idea of meeting, that he lives in light of the day when he will arrive to take, to receive, excuse me. Uh, the first was the meeting. The second is to take or to receive. He lives in light of the day when he will receive that. Not as though I've already received. Neither were already perfect. He has not yet received that joy. He has not yet come to that fullness, but he's reaching for it. And I do believe that we have here a, a double entendre, a double meaning within the text. What we're going to find as we walk through this is Paul is speaking about the resurrection of the dead and the reality that he has not yet attained unto those promises because those promises are in the resurrection, right? Those promises are in the life that is to come. But as we continue, we're also going to get this flavor of Paul recognizing that aspirationally, all of the things that he would desire, the fact that in his mind he has counted all things but loss, he hasn't necessarily attained unto that aspiration either. He's not a perfect man, in other words. He's not a flawless man. And we're, you'll see this double meaning, I believe, come out a little bit, and I'll try to reflect that as I continue through this. Paul says, I haven't finished. I'm not complete. I haven't attained. I'm not yet perfected. Paul's exhortation to count all things but loss, his testimony that he has done the same, like so many of his teachings, is aspirational in nature. One of the things that we can do that really confuses us, that can really frustrate us as Christians in this life, is to confuse the teachings of the Bible as being inevitable rather than aspirational to confuse the teachings of the Bible, thinking that they are inevitable instead of aspirational. That if I don't measure up to everything that the Bible teaches, that somehow this means I am angering and displeasing God. That God has given us a perfect rule book, and he said, do everything in this book exactly, or else I'm angry at you, or else you are failing to measure up. But isn't that why Christ had to die? Because we don't measure up, right? This isn't the character of God. This isn't the nature of God's word. God's word is a reflection of himself. And God's word is the goal of the Christian experience, the goal of the Christian life. It is the template 
for living. And Romans chapter 6, verse 8, make it clear that God has given believers by virtue of Christ's righteousness and the indwelling Holy Spirit every resource necessary, both to know God's word and to obey God's word. So we don't get that confused. We don't, we don't uh, confuse ourselves into thinking that God has not given us the means by which to do what he's asked us to do. He indeed has. He has given us every resource necessary to do the things that he has asked us to do. But just because he's given us every capacity through his spirit, just because he's given us every resource through his word, this does not mean that there is going to be a man that perfectly lives up to that standard. Make no mistake, the provision is made to live up to that standard. In Christ, through his spirit, we can live the rest of our lives without faltering or, or falling short, but we won't, will we? We won't. And not because God is imperfect or because God has, his system is messed up, but because we live in these bodies of sin, don't we? Isn't that frustrating sometimes? Because we have bad days and good days, don't we? Because it could be as simple as the fact that I missed one meal and it could throw off my emotions enough to just tank me. It could be as simple as just not getting enough hours of sleep and it could make my entire day go haywire. That, that, that's, that's the frailty of the human condition, isn't it? Life is only simple in theory. It's certainly not simple in practice, is it? And when we talk about the Bible, I, I, I speak of it as an aspirational book. That the Bible has given us these things, these expectations. It, it reflects to us God's word. And it tells us the provision that we have in Christ as we walk in the spirit. And if we walk in the spirit, we will, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And yet, we still live in these bodies of sin. We still have these feet of clay. And this is Paul, I believe, his general admission here. I don't believe he's just saying here, I haven't attained, nor, neither am already perfected, simply because he hasn't yet died and gone to, the, uh, to, to be with the Lord and, and just because the resurrection has not taken place yet. But I believe Paul is also admitting here that his counting all things but loss is also balanced. And again, we'll see this as we get into verses uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, that, that along with this is the recognition that he's not a perfect man. But just because he's not perfect doesn't mean he's not going to keep following, keep striving, keep trying, keep growing, keep moving forward, keep enduring. He has counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus unto the end that he aspires unto the fullest joys, unto the fullest rewards of the resurrection found through abject yieldedness. But make no mistake, Paul says, first, make no mistake, I haven't received it yet. <laughs> I haven't attained into the resurrection yet. And second, I am not a flawless man in this. Take careful note of that word perfect. We know in the Bible the word perfect does not mean sinless, right? It does not mean morally flawless. The word perfect means finished or complete, having everything that is necessary to my nature or to my kind. But if there were a context which would speak most closely to the idea of becoming everything that God's grace and Christ's resurrection can form in me, I would say this would be it. 
Paul has counted all things but loss, that he may seek unto the absolute fullest reality of the promise of the resurrection, not just a home in heaven, but the abundant rewards of the faithful. And though Paul has aspirationally done this very thing, realistically, he's not attained unto it. His aspirations have not brought him to completion. He hasn't finished his course. He hasn't finished his course as far as life, and he hasn't finished his course as far as growth. It's not as if Paul climaxed at some point, hit his peak, and now he's just coasting down the other side. Nope, Paul says, I'm still climbing that hill. I'm still climbing that hill. He didn't hit transcendence, and now he can just sit up and give everybody else the little breadcrumbs of his wisdom uh, because he has, he has peaked. He's still growing. He's still learning. He's still pressing. And that is his determination. With all of my might, Paul says, I will follow after. If perchance, if it might be that I may apprehend that for which I also, for which also I am apprehended of Christ. He says, I will follow with every fiber of my being. I'm going to chase it down. I'm going to chase Christ. If he's going, I'm going that way too. And he's going to trip and he's going to fall and he's going to stub his toe and he's going to hit a branch and he's going to get a spider web in his face. And all these things are going to happen, but he's going to keep following after. Single-mindedly. Going to place everything on the altar. And yes, probably take it back and then have to place it there again. And maybe take it back again and have to place it there again, but he's going to keep doing it. He says, I haven't attained. My reward is in the life to come. But for the prospect of apprehending that for which Christ has apprehended me, I will follow. What does this mean? If, it, uh, uh, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Remember, within the scope of Philippians 3, Paul began his testimony recounting the time prior to when he was converted on the road to Damascus. Saul was an ambitious Pharisee, right? A, a, a deeply, deeply ambitious man, seeking unto the highest height of his vocation, zealous, so zealous for the law that he was the foremost persecutor of the church. This man was going places. The Lord meets him on the road to Damascus. And as Saul's life continues, God shows him, as he told Ananias he would, just how much Saul was going to have to suffer for Christ's sake. And yet, through the, as, as we look at this context, from the beginning, the Lord had made known to Saul, it would seem, the suffering that he would endure. And considering the scope of Paul's calling unto the Gentiles, uh, I'm sure there was little doubt in his own mind what he was going to be facing when he was finally ready to go. But you know what's interesting about this? Though God specifically said that he was going to show Saul what great things he would suffer for Christ's sake, Paul went anyway, didn't he? Paul went anyway. Now, I don't know all of the things that you have suffered for Christ's sake. I don't know all of the ups and downs that you have gone through in your Christian life. And God gives us the grace for what we have. But imagine that God called you. And in that time of calling you and you submit yourself to the gospel and then following this, 
He lays out before you all of the trials and tribulations that you're going to have to go through for, for his sake. And, and then he says, now I want you to go. Interesting, wouldn't it? I wonder how I would react to that. I wonder how you'd react to that. But see, Paul embraced it. Because along with the promise of all of the things that he was going to suffer for the Lord's sake was the back end of all of those promises. That for all that suffering, there would be great reward. And Paul repurposed the zeal that he had poured into the ambition of being a Pharisee, of destroying Christians' lives, of learning the law, of all of the things that he had. And he redirected all of that zeal toward the knowledge of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't lose that zeal, did he? He redirected that zeal. He poured himself, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, I will give it all up, he says, as he sits in prison writing Philippians, right? <laughs> One of any number of times he'd be in prison. Paul never ceased his ambition. He redirected his ambition. This promise apprehended Paul. And now he was determined to realize its fullest potential. And so he says in verses 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I haven't apprehended. I haven't attained unto the fullest aspirational desires. I haven't come to the fullest realization of my ambitions for Christ because I live in this body of sin, because I'm limited in understanding and energy and capacities, because the resurrection is yet to come. But in spite of all of these failings, all of these setbacks of my own history, my own nature, my own lack of understanding, there is one thing I know and there is one thing I do. I'm going to keep following after. I'm going to chase it. In verse 14, by the way, we see this word, I press toward the mark. That's the same word as we found uh, in verse, um, excuse me, verse uh, 12, I follow after. The same Greek word there. I press toward the mark. I'm going to forget what was behind. What's he talking about? Forgetting those things which are behind. In context, it's, leaving behind me all of that pharisaical effort. How many years, how many hours do you think it, Paul poured into those pharisaical efforts, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel? It said that the Pharisees had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized. How many hours, how much, how much zeal do you think he poured into all of his pharisaical self-righteous elevation? being more zealous than all of his peers, right? A Pharisee of the Pharisees, going beyond all of the others. How hard do you think he had to work? He meets Christ. Christ tells him what the rewards, and he says, forgetting all those things which are behind. It's all just under the, water under the bridge now. Count it but dumb. I haven't apprehended but I'm going to keep pressing, forgetting all that wasted effort, putting out of the mind all of his mistakes and the failures and the lack of days gone by, setting aside anything and everything that might be, might, might be, be behind him that wasn't aspirationally what he wanted, and he's going to just keep pressing, keep reaching, keep 
aspiring. Because the prize is there. Paul wanted it. Paul says, and God says, I can have it. And I know what to do. So I'm going to press. I'm going to go. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep reaching. This concept, unironically, is one of the marks of a person who will be successful, not simply in the world to come, but also carnally in this world, this idea. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching for those things which are before, that, that's, that's one of the oft understood character traits of highly successful people, is it not? That they have very short memories as it relates to failure, as it relates to those things which didn't work for them. They learn well from their mistakes and they remain tenaciously focused on their end goals. Athletes lose games, have bad days. A football quarterback, he throws a bad interception. A baseball pitcher gives away a bad home run. And the mark of a truly elite player is that they don't allow that singular error to bore itself into their brain and cause them to be affected on the next play, cause them to be affected on the next pitch. They gotta have a short memory is what they often call it in sports, right? They've gotta let it go really quickly and get back into the game and get back into the mind and keep moving forward, learning from their mistakes, getting better. A businessman has a bad deal, a bad quarter, a bad year, things go wrong. And the mark of the great businessman in a free market economy is that he's able to affect the next deal without being fearful or apprehensive based upon the outcome of the last bad deal. Learning from the mistakes and becoming better. And this is, ironically, the same trait that Paul is speaking of. Again, he took the ambition that he had toward the carnal in this life and he repurposed it toward the spiritual. He didn't use carnal means, right? He didn't, he didn't adjust carnal ideas. He didn't use the world's philosophy and repurpose it into the church. He used his own ambition and his own zeal and he repurposed it towards Christ. May I make that clear? We have churches all over the place today that are saying, okay, well, we're going to take the world's methods. We're going to take the world's uh, salesman methods, business methods, and we're going to use them in the church to get more people in the seats, to get more of this, to get more of that, to allure people. That's not what, Paul, uh, what I'm talking about here. We're talking about, about Paul taking the zeal that he had for the pharisaical Mosaic law and, 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 and pumping all of that same zeal. As Paul would say in Romans 6, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of the flesh. For as ye have yielded your member servants to unrighteousness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your member servants to righteousness unto holiness. Take the same zeal with which you serve sin, the same zeal with which you serve self, the same ambition with which you tried to elevate yourself in this world and now elevate Christ and pursue Christ with all your might. Set aside the time that may have been wasted, set aside the mistakes that may have been made and press toward that mark. Ever striving ever keeping your eyes forward, ever looking toward the goal, which is Christ. Never excusing our failures, our struggles, our times of waste, but also not living under the shadow of those failures, not living under the shadow of those struggles, not living under the shadow of those times of waste, understanding the grace of God that has been bestowed upon me, leaving those things at the cross, remaining single-minded in my pursuit of the resurrection, of the fullness of the resurrection, of all of the power that was rooted in the gospel that raised Jesus from the dead according to that gospel, right? Just like we learned this morning. 
directing it all toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You've made mistakes. Me too. You aren't as spiritually mature as you'd like to be. Me neither. You don't have every duck in a row in your life. I don't even know where all my ducks are. Be patient. Live in the grace that God has purchased for you in Christ. Don't sit and sour over what you aren't. Don't sit and sour over what you haven't been. Press forward. And don't excuse yourself for it either. Because in Christ, if you're a believer, you have every provision to not be that way. So press forward. Keep reaching. Keep learning. Keep growing. Wake up every day determined to apprehend that for which you have been apprehended of Christ. Wake up every day eager to know Christ better and pursue it in your life. Don't live under the guilt of what you aren't. Don't live comparing yourself to what others are or what you perceive others to be. Don't try to be something you aren't. Understand who you are in Christ. Know all of the potential and be wholly devoted to the reality of the prize that is set before you. Be fully devoted to the principle that everything you are, everything you have is yielded to God. It is, you have counted all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus your Lord. Then put your head down, put your shoulder to the wheel, and get to work. Make every day better than the day before. And when you falter, repent, confess, get up, get moving again. Be patient, believer. Be patient. We live in time. Time is linear. One step at a time. One day at a time. One decision at a time. That's how this life works. But patience is not about sitting and doing nothing. Patience is not idleness. Patience is endurance. Endure. Be honest with yourself. Don't pretend to be more than you are. Don't allow Satan to convince you to live less than you are. Take life one day at a time, one step at a time, one obedient decision at a time. What is the next step of obedience? Don't look three steps ahead. Don't look four steps ahead. Don't aspire to be that great man. One step ahead. Next step of obedience. Sure, pastor, but I just want to be perfect. Me too. <laughs> but how are you going to get there? One step at a time. One step of obedience at a time. One layer of growth at a time. One personal decision at a time. One act of faithfulness at a time. Be patient, believer. Those of you who have interacted with children know this urgency well, don't you? Children are so very eager to grow up, aren't they? They're so eager to grow up. My boys particularly my older boy at this point, so, so eager to become a man. So excited to become a man. Ambitious to become a man. My little girls, eager to become ladies. Eager to grow. They want to do all the big things. They want all the responsibilities and the privileges. But here's the thing. Children can't cheat time, can they? They can mature. Some can mature faster than others, right? But they can't cheat time. They can't drive if, if, if they're this tall, right? They gotta be able to reach the pedals. They gotta be able to see over the steering wheel, most people at least. 
They can do everything in their power to prepare themselves, to mature, to be ready when the time comes. But there are certain things that just, you just, you've got to grow. You've just got to grow. And they've got to be patient. And one of the most disappointing things in life is when we're so eagerly looking at what we want to be and we're so eagerly trying to become that that we forget to live in the moment of growth. And we miss the moment of growth because we're so busy focused upon what will be. But we've just got to be patient. So keep moving forward. Keep pressing. Keep yielding. Keep learning. Keep growing. You're so eager to take the next step in Christ's kingdom. You're so eager to have God use you in that way which you believe you can be used. But your efforts have been in vain. Maybe it's because you're looking three or four steps ahead and you're so busy looking ahead that you're not actually learning the lesson. My child, so eager to, to, to be an adult that they forget to learn the lesson that will formulate them into a functional adult. And you have to say, wait a minute, child, wait a minute, that's tomorrow's lesson. Those are tomorrow's lessons. Learn today's lesson. Get this one down. It's going to make that one a lot easier. Do what you can do today. Always looking toward tomorrow, always pressing toward that mark, but don't run ahead of yourself. You're so frustrated with the constant failures you experience in the flesh. Be patient. Keep working. Keep growing. Keep seeking unto the Lord. Be quick to humble yourself before God, before his word. All the while maintaining a fervent loyalty to this principle. That to the best of your ability, Christ will be your vision. He will be your goal. Be careful. Don't make me your goal. Don't make mom or dad your goal. Don't make Paul your goal. Christ. Christ only. Christ always. That Christ will be your vision. Christ will be the foundation upon which you rest. You will continue to aspire unto the utmost of yieldedness. That God, as God shows you what to do, you are ready in mind and yielded, having put all things on the altar, having counted all things but loss, that you might achieve that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your shoulder to the wheel. Be patient, believer. In Matthew 6, Jesus gives a stirring sermon, which we often call the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually from chapter 5 to chapter 7. In the particular snippet in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uh, exhorts his, his followers, his listeners, to lay not up for themselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but rather to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He calls his followers, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your raiment, what you shall put on. He says, for after these things do the Gentiles seek. He exhorts us to set those things which much of the world constitutes the very essence of their existence. We, we live in a society where we don't think about those things very much, do we? That's a rare thing in, in, in the history of this world. That I don't wake up today wondering 
what will I eat, what will I drink, wherewithal shall I be clothed, that I don't spend my day dedicated de devotedly to that purpose of going out and getting the water and hunting the, the food or, or preparing the food or, or whatever it might be. For the majority of human history, that has been life. Either preparing for today or storing up for tomorrow. And Jesus says, leave these things in the capable hands of your Father who is in heaven because he knows that you need these things. And at the end of the sermon, Jesus says this. Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Skipping to verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Jesus says, don't take thought for these things. The Lord will take care of these things. But rather, keep your eyes single-mindedly focused on the calling of today. There's enough in today for you to worry about without picking up tomorrow's problems, right? This is a very similar principle to what Paul is saying here. As he presses toward the mark, he sets aside all of that self-righteousness, all of those things. He says, I'm going to focus on today. I'm going to focus upon the things that need to be done. Keep your mind on today's lesson and then take the next obedient step. Let tomorrow bring its own problems. Let tomorrow bring its own victories. Win today's battle. Live in today's grace. As Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing also, we are compassed about, seeing we also, excuse me, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we lay aside the weights, we lay aside the sins which easily beset us, we lay aside those things that are going to hinder us along the path. Sometimes we're going to pick them up. When we see that we've picked them up, we put them back down. Sometimes we're going to slog through the mud and we're going to get mud on our shoes and we're going to need to clean them off so that they're not weighing us down. Sometimes we're going to get wet and we're going to need to wring out our clothes they, so they don't weigh us down, metaphorically, of course. And then just keep running. Patience, endurance. The only way to win a race is to put one foot in front of the next. And make sure that that next step is as sure-footed as you can make it. And then when that one goes well, then take the next one and make sure that one's sure-footed too. Then the next. Then the next. You can't control what you're going to find over that hill as you're jogging. What's over that hill? You'll, you'll, you'll see when you get there. You can't change that you stumbled 10 steps ago. You don't have to keep kicking yourself for it. Just be patient. Just endure. Just take the next step. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Be ready. Be yielded. Maintain a deep aspirational loyalty to the fullness of the expectations and promises of God's word. And be patiently faithful. And notice what Paul says next then in, verses, in verse 15. He says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, 
God shall reveal even this unto you. Now, this is interesting. Paul has admitted that he has not attained, nor, as he said in verse 12, am I already perfect. He said, I'm not perfect, finished, complete, having all that is necessary to my nature and kind. And then he says here in verse 15, he makes the call to all of us who are perfect to have this mindset. Why would Paul spend all of this time emphasizing that he hasn't been made complete, only to say that he is complete? Well, this goes back to that aspirational idea. Paul acknowledged in verse 12 that he's not yet won that prize, that the race is still being run, that there's still work to do, that he's still climbing the hill. But aspirationally, all who are in Christ not only have the capacity to live up to the fullest of Christ, but all who are in Christ will one day be found in him. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So while we've not achieved into the fulfillment of the prize, we strive into the resurrection, we have this potential, we have this capacity, and we are, as Colossians 2.10 does remind us, complete in Christ. So Paul exhorts that as many as are perfect, as many as are in Christ, as many as are destined unto this holy and unblameable and unreprovable eternal life, as many as are that way, assume this mind. Count all things but loss. Press toward the mark. Forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching for those things which are before. Keeping the eye on the prize. Count, uh, and, and, and yield yourself patiently to the Lord. And do take note that this is an exhortation, not an assumption. Paul states that there are those reading his words who are perfect and who have already achieved this mind. And then he says, there are some among you who are perfect, who are in Christ, but you haven't yet assumed this mind in full. You are otherwise minded. Even if you aren't living up to this in your body, Paul says, living, live up to it in your mind. Seek it under your heart. Desire it. Reckon these things in life to be but loss. But for those who are otherwise minded, those who lack some measure of this devotedness, those who have something in their lives, even mentally, that they have not yet yielded, that they are otherwise minded as it relates to counting all things but loss for Christ. There's a clause that you haven't given up yet. In, your, in, in, the, in the room of your heart. There's a whole wing, maybe. Paul says, if you are that way, God will reveal this unto you. Thank God he is not in the business of hiding himself from his children. God doesn't sit in the heavens and laugh as we beg to know what's wrong while he hides it just around the corner from our view. Or it's in the room, but he's just kind of caused a shadow to go right over that little corner where, where, where the problem area is. And God, where is it? I don't know. God, that's not, that's not the God we serve. If you don't know where you're lacking, it's not because God is not willing to reveal it to you. I can tell you that right now. Maybe it's that you're not willing to receive it. Maybe it's that God says, you know what? I need that whole wing cleared out. And you say, what wing? I don't know, wing, what? All right. Just as it is true that we aren't living up to the realities of Christ's resurrection and power as believers, 
It's not because God has not made the provision, but rather it's because we lack the faith to appropriate what God has provided in Christ. So too it might be that in mind, we're, we're certainly never going to live up to it in body if we haven't appropriated it in mind. If I haven't counted all things but loss aspirationally, I'm never going to do it practically. Paul says, God will reveal it unto you if you're lacking anything. And the point is this. If you are in Christ, the call is that you, in your mind, first and foremost, be fully yielded to the Lord. Count all things but loss. That aspirationally speaking, that if we can put it this way, in theory, everything that you have is the Lord's. And then you spend the rest of your life living up to that aspiration, seeking unto that aspiration. Lay everything on the altar. Have no part of your life which remains unyielded in mind to God. How this plays out in time and circumstance, whether or not when the rubber meets the road, you are successful at giving God everything, that's not necessarily the issue of this exact call. This call is that you have counted, you have reckoned all things but loss. Not as though you've attained it, though you can. Not as though you're already perfect, though God calls us unto it, but you will seek after. You'll press toward that mark. This is the call. And if you have elements of your life which in mind and intent, aspirationally speaking, you have not yielded, well, if you're willing to receive it, God's willing to show you what these are. And then you can go through the process of yielding them so that you may be thus minded. In the meantime, however, verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. To whatever extent you have been successful at laying those things on the altar, of, of, of counting those things but loss, of living out a determined and yielded mindset, to whatever degree you have found that faithfulness, this one thing for sure, don't give that up. Keep walking. Keep minding. Don't regress. You may not be progressing as fast as you'd like, but at the very least, don't start walking backward. Be patient. Be steady. Carry on. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Don't get discouraged. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching for those things which are before. Keep pressing. Keep working. Keep trying. Be patient. Love the Lord. Trust the Lord. Understand His grace. Keep a short sin account with Him. Be right with, your, with, with God. Be right with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be right with your authorities. Do the things you know to do. Do the things God has laid before you. Do the simple things. Keep pressing. One obedient decision at a time, one step at a time, one opportunity at a time, one faithfulness at a time. The Christian life is not a negative force. God does not stand over us, pointing out all of our faults and failings, badgering us and prodding us and poking us with a stick unto greater heights of moral conformity and holding our past failings over our heads to manipulate us through guilt and shame into compliance saying, remember what you did last time. You made me really angry. Don't you do that again. Remember last time. Remember what I had to do last time. Poke, poke, poke. That's not God, is it? God, the, the, the Christian life is not a negative force. 
Much to the contrary, the Christian life is a positive force. Jesus Christ died, and he died to take upon himself all of those faults, all of those failings, all of those difficulties, all of those faltering steps, those steps that you took yesterday that you, you shouldn't have taken. Christ died for those. He bore those already. He paid for those. The mistakes you're going to make this coming week, Christ died for those. He bore them already. He paid for those. Next year, he paid for those. Last year, he paid for those. Christ has done the work. Christ has made the provision. provision. Christ has purchased the grace. By grace, God reaches out a loving hand, both calling us and enabling us unto something in him which we cannot do in ourselves We are not prodded by an angry God. We are led by a loving and gracious God, one who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, one who was tempted in all points like as we and yet without sin. You have not attained, neither have I. You are not already perfect, nor am I. But are you pressing toward the mark, forgetting that which is behind whether that be the the, the pre-Christ self-righteousness like Paul is talking about explicitly in Philippians, or whether it be by extension yesterday or the day before in your failings, which you've now repented of, confessed, and you're moving forward, and you're going to forget those things which are behind. Reach for that which is ahead, humbly accepting the Lord's loving rebuke, His chastening, when He reveals that our minds and our hearts are not with Him as they ought to be, and then faithfully walking in the rule and mind of that unto which I have already attained. Is that you this evening? Or have you been diverted in mind, in heart, in action? Diverted by a love for this world? Diverted by animosity toward the people of this world? diverted by the events that are happening in this world. Diverted by personal pride, not wanting to admit some fault. Have you been diverted by jealousy for another person's choices or relationship to God? Have you been diverted by your own selfish priorities or refusal to yield something? Yourself, your rights, your future, your desires, your ambitions. I'm not asking you this evening how fast you're running. I'm not asking you this evening how fit you are spiritually. I'm simply asking if you're putting one foot in front of the next. Are you patiently, faithfully pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? Or have you been sidetracked? And if you have, verse 15 gives me the confidence that If you're willing, God has revealed these things unto you. Paul says, if we are any any, any other minded, if we are any any wise less minded, God will reveal it unto us. I don't know what all that is. I don't know what those things might be, those areas where you are otherwise minded. But God will reveal it unto you. And then it is for we who are in Christ to see it, to believe it, not to ignore it, not to put a blanket over it, not to, not, not, not to put a picture frame over the hole in the wall, not to just lift up the rug and sweep the dirt under it, but to deal with it as the Lord reveals it. 
correct our minds, God has laid the path. He's given us the ability. In Christ, he has not just given us an understanding of these things. He has made provision for us to be victorious. And he asks us to press on. He asks us to keep moving forward. Be patient, Christian. Run the race that is set before you with patience. Do the next obedient thing. Maintain an uncompromised loyalty to the calling of God upon your life, to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Set aside the past. Press toward the mark that you might win the prize. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.